symbol here tonight to all of the sanitation workers and their families and to all of my brothers and sisters. I need not pause to say how very delighted I am to be in Memphis tonight to see you here in such large and enthusiastic numbers. As I came in tonight, I turned around and said to Ralph Abernathy, they really have a great movement here in Memphis. Alabama's got me so upset Tennessee made me lose my rest Everybody knows about Mississippi God damn Alabama's got me so upset Lurleen Wallace has made me lose my rest Everybody knows about Mississippi God damn Can't you see it? I know you can feel it It's all in the Labor and its love, 10 o'clock Saturday morning. Welcome. We started out with a little bit there about Martin Luther King addressing uh, sanitation workers. We'll get on with that. Right now, let's listen to Venus. Hound dogs on my trail. Little school children sitting in jail Black cat cross my path I think every day's gonna be my last Lord have mercy on this land of mine We all gonna get it in due time Cause I don't belong here, I don't belong there I've even stopped believing in prayer I've been there, so I know you keep on saying go slow. Well, that's just the trouble. No. Washing the windows. No. Picking the cotton. No. Nothing but rotten. No. Too damn lazy. No. Try to do my very best Stand up, be counted with all the rest Cause everybody knows about Mississippi God damn Now you heard him He's one of you If you have been moved at all And you know my songs at all For God's sakes, join me 
Don't sit back there. The time is too late now. Good God. You know, the king is dead. The king of love is dead. I ain't about to be none violent, honey. <laughs> oh, no. Picket lines, school boycotts. They try to say it's a communist spot. But all I want is equality for my sister, my brother, my people, and me. And I loved him because he believed it. He lived by it. But you lied to me all the years. You told me to wash and clean my ears and talk real fine just like a lady and you stopped calling my mama and Sadie. Hear me now. But my country is full of lies. We all gonna die and die like flies. I don't trust nobody anymore. Keep on saying, go slow. That's just the trouble. Good morning, you're listening to Labor and Love, and we started out with uh, the beginning of a Martin Luther King speech, celebrating today the great civil rights slash labor leader, yes, labor leader. As we know, King's last speech was delivered in Memphis, Tennessee, in support of striking sanitation workers. So today we're going to be playing a speech that he gave uh, excerpts from the speech that he gave two days, I believe, before he was shot. That was uh, Nina Simone. Nina Simone singing about uh, Mississippi. This is after uh, Martin Luther King was uh, killed. It's the Labor and Love Show where we tell you how it is. We tell you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. 
and we tell you if you don't have a seat at the table that is the negotiating table you're probably on the menu and further we tell you that you should never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor and when I say labor I mean you no matter what you do you gotta serve somebody here's Etta James Living in a mansion might live in a dome 
James reminding us that you got to serve somebody. <clears throat> Don't sit on the fence or they're going to say you're standing up for sitting down. You're only alone when you don't stand up. So yeah, Dr. Martin Luther King speaking in Memphis on March 18th, 1968, just a week or two before he was murdered. And we're going to talk a lot about King today and his movement. Maybe some of the unsung people uh, in that great movement. Uh, on another note, we had a little rain today, this week. 
but we're still in the throes of a terrible drought. Brother Charlie Morgan to tell you about it. In New Zealand I read a magazine Something nasty crossed my eye The earth that fed me in California Was turning cracked and dry New Zealand ferns are always green It rains more there than it should I looked to the cloud that was raining on me And said, go where you can do some good Clouds stop crying and wasting time And fly across the sky Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her die Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well But the weather wasn't so fine Nobody had a garden Nothing lived but weeds the earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. Let the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm and town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her die I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reach down and kiss that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die People and the animals like to gather where water flows A beer, some tea, or a water hole It's there where something grows And remember the music water makes The rainy pool and the circle dance The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall The laughing creek that feeds the plants Now the fields are green again, beauty has returned. Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn. Can't waste away the ocean, water, air, or land. If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand. So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I 
I don't want to see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Charlie Morgan with uh, his drought song and uh, the whole civil rights movement uh, we're talking about today, Martin Luther King Day, was uh, a close brother slash sister of the labor movement. There's a lot of intermingling, a lot of the tactics that... <clears throat> King and uh, organizers in the movement used that had been used in labor campaigns because the labor movement was the major resistance movement in the United States, still is. That's why it's being so, so much attacked by the powers that be in like for example the Friedrichs case which we'll talk more about this is what people had to put up with and still have to put up with these groups of people with guns who feel empowered to enforce their own laws this is Richie Havens
Each one wore a mask of white To hide his cruel face from sight Each one sucked a hungry breath Out of the empty lungs of death And I cried, sister, hey, sister Richie Havens with the clan, clan whose close cousins believe that uh, they can use their guns and enforce the law any way they want. For example, uh, taking federal land in Oregon as the Paiute Indians whose ancestors lived there said, well, if you're going to take it from the federal government, give it back to us because it was taken originally from us. This is The Bee, and you're listening to Labor and Love, your weekly labor magazine. Let's see, what do we got today? A labor movement in outer space? Yes. Astronauts who went on strike. California Labor Federation reports on a very important case up before the Supreme Court called Friedrichs, which basically would mean that as a teacher you could get all the benefits of union membership without paying a penny. Two stories about water rights. One in Mexico and one in goddamn Flint, Michigan. Labor notes report about the lost pensions of Teamster members in the Midwest. 
and our radio, radio labor report. Okay, let's see. Let's We've got our WIN news report from Workers Independent News. These things are going on right now. Workers Independent News Week in Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. Teachers and other public union members rallied with supporters Monday in Washington as the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the Friedrichs versus California Teachers Association case. Plaintiffs in that case want to end automatic payroll deductions for dues and fair share fees negotiated by majorities of workers at union workplaces. At the Supreme Court rally in D.C., one teacher who attended said teacher unions support public education for all. My union helps me connect with parents and community members to help pass referendums to support a high quality public education for every single child. The Detroit Federation of Teachers says the community needs real answers to the Detroit public schools crisis. The teachers say deplorable teaching and learning conditions that include serious health and safety issues need to be addressed by Michigan Governor Rick Snyder and his hand-appointed emergency manager, Darnell Early. Detroit schools were closed this week when teachers called in sick. It was an effort to get their voices heard about mold and rodents in the schools, big class sizes, and physical deterioration of school buildings. Detroit Federation of Teachers President Ivy Bailey. Children should be our number one priority. The children in Detroit deserve a quality education like everyone else. I think we've all done a disservice to the children here in the city. The teachers are speaking out, and I think their voices need to be heard. They're working you 12 hours a day at $12 an hour. You don't have time to spend with your family. Selma, Alabama, Lear worker and union activist Latasha Irby. Irby and co-workers started efforts to organize a UAW local at the multinational Lear Corp's Selma Auto Parts plant in May of 2014. The company immediately immediately started violating labor law with what the National Labor Relations Board says were illegal threats and intimidation tactics in captive audience meetings that workers were forced to attend. So in slideshows telling us that if we ever get the union in our plant, that our plant would close down and that our customer in Hyundai and Montgomery wouldn't want to accept our parts. And if we ever went to apply for another job and they saw that we come from a unionized plant, that they wouldn't want to hire us. Clergy and laity united for economic justice Thursday called on the management of Alliance College-ready charter schools in Los Angeles to stop their anti-union actions against teachers. Garcia Lopez-Reyes is an organizer with the faith group. We wrote a, a faith letter uh, that has been signed by about 50 faith leaders supporting the teachers and calling on the Alliance to stop their anti-union campaign against the teachers, to stop their retaliation, intimidation, and coercion against the educators. Workers Independent News puts workers and their unions on the national radio news airwaves every day. To help keep labor's voice on the air, go to laborradio.org. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. That was, that was the uh, Workers Independent News. Uh, Doug Cunningham. <clears throat> And some of the stories, well, we referred to Friedrichs, and we'll talk some more about Friedrichs in a little bit. The Detroit public schools, I understand now the Detroit public schools are under the control of the same man who switched Detroit's um, Flint's water to 
a polluted source and for 17 months poisoned uh, men, women, and children, which Governor Snyder, by the way, knew about. So now that guy has been put in charge of Detroit public schools with class sizes of 45 to 50. Believe me, as an ex-teacher, once you go over 12... <laughs> It's all just catch as catch can. I can't imagine a 45 to 50 student class, but there you are. That's what happens when uh, companies decide that you can't make money for them anymore. Detroit can't make money for the auto industry now, so uh, it's just left behind. Radio Labor's up next. This is, these are stories that more of a worldwide perspective. Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, January 15th, 2016. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, the Supreme Court in the United States begins hearing a case which could severely weaken public employee unions in the country. In Thailand, a British labor researcher faces seven years in jail for uncovering the abuse of migrant workers. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. In the United States, the top-level Supreme Court has started hearings into a case which could have devastating effects on public employee unions in the country. The case has been brought forward by an anti-union right-wing organization. It is using a teacher in California to fight what is called fair share union fees. The anti-union organization, called the Christian Educators Association International, objects to people paying the costs of collecting of bargaining, calling it a political act. I talked to Elaine Bernard about the case. Ms. Bernard is the executive director of the Labor and Work Life Program at the Harvard Law School. I asked her to describe the court case concerning fair share fees. The case is Fredericks versus the California Teachers Association, and it's a case of a young teacher who is arguing that she needn't pay fair share fees. Well, what are fair share fees? Essentially, in uh, the U.S., once a union is certified, it must represent everybody in the bargaining unit. They're not, by law, required to join the union, but they are required to pay at least a what's called a fair share. That is a portion of the dues, and only that portion which actually covers the bargaining and negotiations. And, and the idea is that everybody's going to benefit from what the union does. The union is obliged to represent everyone, whether they join or not. And so in many states, there's what's called fair share. So employees are required to pay a portion of the dues. It normally works out to only about 60, maybe 70 percent of what a member would pay. And the idea is to prevent free riders. That is people who get all the benefits but don't pay into it. 
What are the implications for labor unions if the court rules against fair share fees? Well, there's 25 states right now, including California, that have established these fair share fees. And so what it would do is it would turn basically public sector in those states into what we call in the U.S. right to work. That is, the law would prohibit negotiating fair share so that you would have workers the union is obliged to represent but is not able to collect dues from them. So it would be totally voluntary as far as dues. We've, we've already seen some examples of this in Wisconsin after legislators rescinded the mandatory fees in Wisconsin a third of the state's teachers stopped paying dues. So it creates this massive uh, free rider problem and really undermines the uh, financial viability of of unions and their ability to to represent workers. If one-third of the teachers in Wisconsin stopped paying dues when they were allowed to legally, doesn't that say, isn't that an argument against trade unions that so many people would, would pull out at that time? No, I don't think it's an argument against uh, trade unions. And remember, the North American model is the union is actually required to represent everyone. So the problem is if unions were able to really compete, say, okay, if you don't want to pay dues, that's fine, but we also don't have to represent you. You would have workers, the union, whether they pay, pay or not. It's, uh, you know, a very unfair sort of system. A court in Thailand has shown how dangerous it can be for labor activists to uncover the abuse of migrant workers in the country. Radio Labor senior correspondent Seymour Ainsborough has a report. A British labor researcher based in Thailand has had his passport confiscated so that he cannot leave the country while he waits for a trial that could put him in jail for seven years. A Thai court has ruled that Andy Hall, a British labor researcher specializing in issues related to migrant workers, cannot leave the country until his trial starts later in the year. Mr. Hall faces up to seven years in jail and thousands of dollars in fines for helping a Finnish NGO uncover the abuse of workers at a fruit canning company. The charge which led to the court ruling against Mr. Hall is one of four filed by the Natural Fruit Company. They all relate to Mr. Hall's work describing how the company treats migrant workers who come mainly from Myanmar and Cambodia. Radio Labor interviewed Mr. Hall when the charges were first filed and asked him about the conditions of the migrant workers. 
When we did the research on natural fruit, we, we knew from a very early stage that the factory was a particularly bad factory because we, we had the field trips down there and we met with the workers. We had to do the interviews in secret a, a long way away from the factory because the workers were so scared. And from the beginning, we knew that this was a factory that was part of what the workers described as a mafia network backed up by politicians. The conditions in the factory, the workers were not paid the legal minimum wage either for their eight-hour working day or the, the very, very excessive overtime that they, they have to do. Some of them reported five, six, seven, up to ten hours overtime a day in very hot weather, dangerous equipment. There was reportedly about 40 to 50 child labourers working in the factory. Workers reported that a, a quarter of the workforce was uh, undocumented, severe debt bondage, uh, abusive supervisors. The workers essentially felt that they were trapped to a process of debt bondage. They couldn't escape. The workers really did call for me to help them. Mr. Hall has been released on bail provided by the NGO in Finland, Finwatch, the Tytoon industry, and labor unions in the country. This is Steve Marie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labor. Nail here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of more than 2,300 stories our volunteers have collected in the last week. Our top story section included links to news about the push for equal pay for women in the United States, the continuing effort to free independent labor activists in China, and police attacks on workers protesting layoffs in Pakistan. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Racetrack workers in Canada remained locked out in a wage dispute. Also on strike in Canada were food processors looking for a first contract, blood collection services workers out on the picket line since September, and hotel workers looking for a living wage. In India, bank workers walked over their employers' policies. Also in India, lifeguards on the beaches of Goa remained off work in an extended wage dispute. Bakers in the USA were on picket lines demanding a living wage and reasonable working hours. Picketing British junior doctors were being supported by firefighters, bakers, and civil servants. And in Nigeria, university workers stopped work to protest the sacking of 141 of their colleagues. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the planned tea workers strike in Bangladesh, the refusal of the Jamaican government to ratify the ILO Convention on the Rights of Domestic Workers, and the Iraqi Teachers Union campaign to end violence against women. Our health and safety newswire carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about a precedent-setting jail sentence for a negligent supervisor who caused the death of four Canadian workers, the efforts being made to obtain hazard benefits for Ebola workers in Liberia, and the high fatality rate amongst construction workers in Israel. Currently, Labor Start is running six online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. You can hear many more labor stories on our site at www.radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
Okay, there's your uh, national labor report, the win, win labor report, and uh, the world labor world report. Both of them referencing the Friedrichs case, and we'll talk some more about the Friedrichs case and how important it is. But uh, let's listen to more of Dr. King's speech, March 18th. 1968. You are demonstrating that we are all tied in a single garment of destiny and that if one black person suffers, if one black person is down, we are all down. I've always said that if we are to solve the tremendous problems that we face, we're going to have to unite beyond the religious line. And I'm so happy to know that you've done that in this movement in a supportive role. We have Baptist, Methodists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, members of the Church of God in Christ, and members of the Church of Christ in God. We're all together. All of the other denominations and religious bodies that I have not mentioned. But that is another great need. I just want to commend you. It's been a long time since I've been in a situation like this, and this lets me know that we are ready for action. I come to commend you, and I come also to say to you that in this struggle you have the absolute support, and that means... Martin Luther King Jr. addressing the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal, Employ- Municipal Employees, March 18th, 1968, Memphis, Tennessee. You're doing many things here in this struggle. You are demanding that this city will respect the dignity of labor. So often we overlook the work and the significance of those who are not in professional jobs, of those who are not in the so-called big jobs. But let me say to you tonight that whenever you are engaged in work, 
that serves humanity and is for the building of humanity, it has dignity and it has worth. One day our society must come to see this. One day our society will come to respect the sanitation worker if it is to survive for the person who picks up our garbage as in, in the final analysis is as significant as the position for if he doesn't do his job, disease is a lesson. All labor has dignity. But you are doing another thing. You are reminding not only Memphis, but you are reminding the nation that it is a crime for people to live in this rich nation and receive starvation wages. Yeah. And I need not remind you that this is our plight as a people all over, a people all over America. The vast majority of Negroes in our country are still perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. Yeah. My friends, we are living as a people in a literal depression. Now, uh, you know, when that is mass unemployment and underemployment in the black community, they call it a social problem. When there is mass unemployment and underemployment in the white community, they call it a depression. find ourselves living in a literal depression all over this country as a people. Now the problem isn't only unemployment. Do you know that most of the poor people in our country are working every day? They are making wages so low that they cannot begin to function in the mainstream of the economic life of our nation. These are facts which must be seen. And it is criminal to have people working on a full-time basis and a full-time job getting part-time income. You are here tonight to demand that Memphis 
will do something about the conditions that our brothers face as they work day in and day out for the well-being of the total community. You are here to demand that Memphis will see the poor. Martin Luther King there making the labor connection, talking about criminality to have people working and not making enough money to support their families. And his famous assertion that all labor has dignity. <clears throat> Play some labor songs there. Here's Pete Seeger. Which side are you on? From all of you good workers, good news to I'll tell of how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner and I'm a miner's son. And I'll stick with the union till every battle's won. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Oh, workers, can you stand it? Oh, tell me how you can. Will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Don't scab for the bosses. Don't listen to their lies. Us poor folks haven't got a chance unless we organize. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Which side are you on?
Choppers coming up over each Hot soup on a campfire in the breach Shelter line stretching round the corner Welcome to the new world order Family sleeping in the car in the southwest No home, no job, no peace, no rest Highway is alive tonight But nobody's kidding nobody about where it goes I'm sitting down here in the campfire line Searching for the ghost of time, Joe He pulls a prayer book out of his sleeping bag Preacher lights up a buddy and takes a drag Waiting for when the last shall be first and the first shall be last In a cardboard box near the underpass Got a one-way ticket to the promised land You got a hole in your belly and a gun in your hand Sleeping on a pillow of solid rock 
Leaving in the city going down The highway is alive now The way it's hitting everybody knows I'm sitting down near my campfire line Waiting on the ghost of That last one was uh, Bruce Springsteen with uh, The Ghost of Tom Joad, a white worker, forgotten, going around searching for a place where he can work and be treated with dignity and his ghost is still with us and still looking. Before that was Ronnie Gilbert joined by Judy Collins and they were singing Irene Goodnight, the song of the uh, cotton workers, the, the um, port workers in uh, Louisiana, written down, popularized by Leadbelly and then by the Weavers in 1949, one of the Number, was the one, number one song in the United States just before the blacklist struck and the Weavers were unable to get work anywhere. And they had just signed to do a radio show and uh, a weekly radio show and all of a sudden they couldn't find work. Another one of the Weavers... 
Ronnie Gilbert was one of the singers there. She was a Weavers veteran, as well as the song before that, Which Side Are You On, by the redoubtable Pete Seeger. Which side are you on? I want to talk a little bit now about Friedrichs. Friedrichs is the case that was mentioned uh, both in our World Report and our National Labor Report. Friedrichs versus California. Basically, this is a group of 10 teachers from Southern California who don't feel that they're represented by their union and thus don't want to have to pay union dues. In about half the states in the United States, public sector unions are required to represent everyone in their union, whether everyone in, in that uh, bargaining unit, everyone in that area, that job, who the union has to represent them in court and in uh, collective bargaining. So I started off working making $800 a month and when I finished it was well beyond that, six or seven times that. So even if I wasn't a union member, I would be entitled to that raise and to that money as well as the benefits my union negotiated as well as all the workplace issues that my union that my union negotiated such as phones in the classroom some places people teachers felt they were in danger they wanted to have phones in their classroom all these things and others were negotiated i mean you have dress codes all kinds of things this woman rebecca friedrichs and the people who are joining her are arguing before the Supreme Court that they don't want to pay those things. And one of their arguments is that the union is basically engaged in political work, which they may or may not agree with. In some cases, for example, unions unions have... Uh, given money to Planned Parenthood. And if you're a teacher and you don't agree with Planned Parenthood, you're pro-birth, not pro-life necessarily, but pro-birth, you wouldn't want your money to go. So the union gives people the ability to opt out of those expenses. About 30% of union dues go to those quote-unquote political activities so people don't have to pay for those there and now the the case is that all those things that the union negotiates with with municipalities say or states are political for example what if it's ridiculous on the face of it. First of all, that they want to be freeloaders and not pay for things they benefit from. Second, they say that all union activities, when they negotiate, are political. 
So, for example, what if there's a movement for parental leave? Fredericks would say that the union doesn't have the right to negotiate that or that she doesn't want to pay for it. But how are you supposed to get parental leave? How are you supposed to get all these benefits or benefits at all if you don't negotiate with a political entity? Are, are employers going to come and say to you, gee, you know, you need parental leave. We're going to give you parental leave. Or if you go one by one or in a small group and you say, we want parental leave, they'll show you the door. You know that the United States is the one country that doesn't give parental leave. There's a bill now in California, in San Francisco to do so. So there's, there's no way around political work. Um, there's a precedent for what this is called fair share, that members who don't want to be in the union should still have to pay for some of the things that the union does for them. For example, if they get in an argument or in a problem with their principal or with their district, the union is required, required to represent them. Now they're saying they don't want to have to pay for that. So the danger, of course, is that a conservative Supreme Court will strike down this fair share plan and say to these people that they don't have to pay any dues if they're not in the union, but they still get all the benefits of collective bargaining and uh, pay raises. So, I mean, it's a pretty clear-cut case. They're asking the Supreme Court to overturn a 40-year-old precedent that allows unions to charge fair share fees. The case has been argued already. We'll see. This summer sometime, the, uh, the court is going to hand down its opinion in Friedrichs. Okay, let's talk a little about water rights now. Water has moved to center stage because of Flint, Michigan. And last week, this was our goddamn moment. Flint officials, Michigan officials, beginning from Rick Snyder, the governor, on down to his appointees, changed Flint's water from a relatively clean but expensive source, the Detroit River, to the Flint River, which is notoriously polluted. In order to clean the water, they added something to it which stripped the lead off the old pipes In some places, the lead level was three, four times the safe amount by the EPA, which is probably not that safe anyway. For 17 months, the men, women, and children, the babies of Flint, Michigan, drank 
and washed with and cooked in this water. In Michigan, the governor can appoint someone, can override an elected mayor or an elected uh, city council and appoint someone to run the city. He, in this case, he, he appointed uh, Darnell Early, emergency manager Darnell Early. I'm talking now from the Socialist Worker website. Darnell Early announced the governor's decision to shut down the pipes channeling Lake Huron water from Detroit's water department and resupply the city with local river water as part of a broad scheme to save money. This was done to save money. So... Snyder has been trampling on democracy for years, said an activist with the Flint Democracy Defense League. Really, ever since he's been in office, and especially since Flint has had an emergency manager since December 2011. Of course, he, he pushed through uh, right to work, quote-unquote right to work, which is uh, right to starve bill to bust uh, to bust uh, unions and working people's organization well the struggle is going on in Mexico as well on the Al Jazeera website Mexican town fights to protect pure water supply Awisculco residents urge officials to designate Mountain Spring as off-limits to development. Imagine being able to turn on your faucet and enjoy pure Mountain Spring water. That is exactly what people in the Mexican town of Awisculco, a little more than an hour's drive from Guadalajara, have been able to do for generations. So when bulldozers rumbled in about four months ago and began scooping up mounds of dirt near the mountain spring, the people got worried and suspicious. They mobilized. When they couldn't get any answers about exactly who was digging and what they were doing, they found an encampment blocking the bulldozers. Construction ground to a halt. They tell us that their request for information was initially ignored by local government officials. They found that a company called ARN planned to build molasses containers on the site. A molasses spill into a lake in their state of Jalisco in 2013 was still fresh in the residents' mind. It had a disastrous effect on the fish population. Protesters told us that when they complained to the local officials, they were told it's not our fault, it's the previous administration's fault. It seems the town of Ahuizulco may have prevailed in their fight to save their mountain spring water. 
The battle goes on all over the world. And it may be that water is the next battleground. We shall see. Water in Flint, water in Ajuizculco. I want to play one from my buddy Earl now. I played this when uh, he came uh, to visit the station. We go a long way back. I'm going to follow that one up for my soulmate, Sylvia Ramirez. Getting a little personal here. Long, 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 long way. 
Sylvia, we go a long way back. Bloodstone. There's another one for Sylvia. Tanto tiempo disfrutamos ese amor. Nuestras almas se acercaron tanto así. Yo guardo tu sabor, pero tú llevas también sabor a mí. Si negaras mi presencia en tu vivir, bastaría con abrazar y conversar. Tanta vida yo te di, que por fuerza tiene ya sabor a mí. No pretendo ser tu dueño No soy nada, yo no tengo vanidad De mi vida soy lo bueno Soy tan pobre que otra cosa puedo dar Pasarán más de mil años, muchos más Y yo no sé si tengo amor en la eternidad como aquí en la boca llevará sabor a mí Pobre que otra cosa puedo dar 
Pasarán más de mil años, mucho más. Yo no sé si tenga amor la eternidad. Pero allá, tal como aquí, en la boca llevará sabor a mí. Sabor a mí, classic uh, love song, Chicano love song. Sabor a mí. We're going to play a little more of Martin Luther King's famous Labor Has Dignity speech, but I'd like to mention, of course, as we all know, these things don't come around By magic, the even though uh, we people try to trivialize King and make him, uh, oh well, he helped to make the laws fair for everybody. King was far more than that. But there were a lot of other people, people who are not as famous as King, who did the grunt work, who lived the day-to-day -day life under segregation and decided they'd had enough of it. And one of them was Joanne Robinson, another was Diane Nash. Robinson was born in Georgia in 1912, uh, was a school teacher, and uh, started teaching at Alabama State College in Montgomery joined a political council and started organizing against the segregated bus system in Montgomery, Alabama. She was verbally, in 1949, she was verbally attacked by a bus driver for sitting in the front whites-only section of the bus. She attempted to start a protest boycott at that point, but she was told by the Women's Political Council that it was a fact of life and there was nothing uh, you could do about it. But they were able to get some concessions, including hoping, um, asking drivers to be courteous, having buses stop at every corner in black neighborhoods as they did in white areas. On December 1st, 1955, when Rosa Parks was arrested, it was Joanne Robinson who stayed up all night and mimeographed 50,000 handbills calling for a boycott of the bus system. And uh, it became a full-blown boycott. At first it was going to be for one day, but as Coretta King remarked, when they saw the buses were empty, uh, that eight black people had ridden the bus that day, they realized that they should go for a boycott, indefinite boycott. Robinson purposely stayed out of the limelight, even though she worked diligently. She wanted to protect her position at Alabama State College. 1956, a police officer threw a stone through the window of her house. Another police officer poured 
acid on her car. After a student sit-in in early 1960, Robinson and other teachers who had supported the students resigned their positions at Alabama State. She moved out of Montgomery that year, taught for a year at Grambling College, and uh, moved to Los Angeles, where she became a teacher there. See if we can get something. uh, Joanne Robinson speaking. Joanne Robinson. That's fine. E.D. Nixon and other black leaders called for a one-day bus boycott. In some cities, it would have been impossible to organize 40,000 people in two days. But Black Montgomery had a core of activists in the Women's Political Council, and they distributed these boycott notices all over the city. I called every person who was in every school and every place where we had planned to be at that that school or wherever it was at a certain time that I would be there with material for them to disseminate. I didn't go to bed that night. I cut those stencils. I ran off 35,000 copies. That was the voice of Joanne Robinson, one of the... uh, unsung people in the uh, Montgomery bus boycott. Here's another Diane Nash who famously went up to the mayor of uh, Memphis, Tennessee and asked him if it was fair that people should have to pay taxes but they weren't being represented or that they couldn't shop at certain places. Diane Nash Anyway, it says angry civil rights activist Diane Nash was a leader in the uh, Freedom Riders movement. This is people who took bus rides in order to uh, protest unfair laws. That said uh, whites and blacks couldn't ride the same buses in uh, certain areas. Nash was born in 1938 and raised in Chicago. Her father was a a veteran. Her mother's, her parents' uh, marriage ended and her mother married a member of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Um... 
She attended Catholic schools and considered becoming a nun, runner-up in a regional beauty pageant, Um, went to college in Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee, where she majored in English and first saw the full force of Jim Crow. Um, Her family members were surprised when she joined the civil rights movement. Her grandmother said, Diane, you've gotten in with the wrong bunch. She did not know that Diane was the chairwoman of organizing nonviolent protests at her university. Served time in jail. Joined uh, SNCC, in fact, quit college in order to work more with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Spent 30 days in a South Carolina jail. 10 days in Jackson, Mississippi, where she spent her time there washing her only set of clothing in the sink during the day and listening to the cockroaches at night. Diane Nash. 1995, historian David Halberstam described Nash as bright, focused, utterly fearless, with an unerring instinct for the correct tactical move at each increment of the crisis. Diane Nash. I'd like to get a, a clip here of Diane Nash uh, speaking. The point is that Um, These things, Martin Luther King was not alone. In fact, he was only the figurehead in a lot of cases. He was the voice of the movement, the very eloquent voice. He was the leader of the movement. But the grunt work was done by people like Diane Nash. See if we can find Diane Nash talking. This is Labor and Love, your weekly uh, labor magazine. And uh, we're talking today about Dr. Martin Luther King, of course, about other things as well. Let's listen to I think I wasn't afraid, and that is not true. I was really, really afraid. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I went to Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee. That was the first time that I personally had encountered signs that said white and colored on water fountains and restrooms. It was possible for blacks to buy food in a restaurant on a carryout basis, but you couldn't sit in the restaurant and eat it. I found that humiliating. I did not want to be chairperson. 
I was afraid to be chairperson. And I remember thinking, we're facing white, racist businessmen and politicians, and who are we? A group of students, 18, 19, 20 years old. Our first sit-in was February 13th. We targeted six lunch counters. People often have the impression that a group of black students would say, hey, let's have a sit-in. But there was a great deal of work and planning that went into it. One of the things that we anticipated was that white people, um, segregationists, would say they didn't want to sit next to dirty, smelly Negroes in restaurants. So we developed a dress code. The young men wore suits and ties, and the women wore dresses. I got confidence in my ability to work effectively in the movement. We had prepared for that in the workshops. Everybody who went had pledged to be nonviolent. When they announced that we were under arrest, everyone got up and walked willingly to the patrol wagon. And when the police turned around, a whole new set of demonstrators had taken seats at the lunch counter. That very day, we organized a march to City Hall. Several thousand people marched. It was a silent march. We met the mayor. I asked the mayor, Mayor West, do you feel that it's wrong to discriminate against a person solely on the basis of his race or color? I could not agree that it was morally right for someone to refuse them service. And I had to answer it just exactly that way. That was the turning point. The following day, the Nashville, Tennessean ran a headline and said, Integrate Counters, Mayor. The movement had a way of reaching inside you and bringing out things that even you didn't know were there. You didn't have to be a man to be courageous. Okay, that was Diane Nash, one of the foot soldiers in the uh, in the uh, Black Civil Rights Movement, which, as we understand now was very closely aligned to the labor movement. And we're going to uh, hear King now talk about a parable about people who ignore the poor, a parable of uh, Jesus. By the way, King's last speech that he had in his pocket when he was shot was entitled, Will America Go to Hell? And this is the basis of it.
You know, Jesus reminded us in a magnificent parable one day that a man went to hell because he didn't see the poor. His name was Diabetes. There was a man by the name of Lazarus who came daily to his gate in need of the basic necessities of life. Diabetes didn't do anything about it. He ended up going to hell. There is nothing in that parable which says that Diabetes went to hell because he was rich. Jesus never made a universal indictment against all wealth. It is true that one day a rich young ruler came to him talking about eternal life and he advised him to sell all. But in that instance, Jesus was prescribing individual surgery and not setting forth a universal diagnosis. If you will go on and read that parable in all of its dimensions and its symbolism, you will remember that a conversation took place between heaven and hell. And on the other end of that long distance call between heaven and hell was Abraham in heaven. Talking to Diabetes in hell. It wasn't a millionaire in hell talking with a poor man in heaven. It was a little millionaire in hell talking with a multi-millionaire in heaven. Diabetes didn't go to hell because he was rich. His wealth was his opportunity to bridge the gulf that separated him from his brother Lazarus. Diabetes went to hell because he passed by Lazarus every day, but he never really saw him. Diabetes went to hell because he allowed Lazarus to become invisible. Diabetes went to hell because he allowed the means by which he lived to outdistance the ends for which he lived. Diabetes went to hell because he maximized the minimum and minimized the maximum. Diabetes finally went to hell because he sought to be a conscientious objector in the war against poverty. And I come by here to say that America too is going to hell if she doesn't use her wealth. Okay, there it is in plain English. America's going to hell if she doesn't use her riches to reach out to her poor and to her working poor. From the All Labor Has Dignity speech, which King delivered on, I guess, March 18th, 1968.
Just about time for us to say goodbye and hand you over to Flat Black Plastic, Scott Walker, coming right up. <clears throat> I do want to finish with this story. This day in labor history, December 28, 1973. Does space... Have a labor history? The answer is yes. On December 28, 1973, the crew of Skylab went on a one-day strike to protest their working conditions and the pressure NASA placed on them to catch up on their experiments after one of them had gotten sick. This event might not have any enormous implications but it is a moment indicative of broader work protests of the 1970s. NASA launched Skylab in 1973 to great fanfare, but had a lot of problems from the start. With the spaceship damage upon takeoff, requiring two missions just to make it habitable. When the astronauts found out that mission control was listening into their private conversations and knew about their complaints about their working conditions. The astronauts were infuriated. NASA began spend, sending extremely specific instructions about minute-by-minute -minute tasks for the astronauts to do. Remember, these men were professionals at a very highly specialized job, working in extreme conditions. When they fell behind again, NASA began demanding less sleep and working through their meal breaks. The astronauts began to complain to mission control, but NASA's response was that they were whining. One of the astronauts said, we would never work 16 hours a day for 84 straight days on the ground, and we should not be expected to do it here in space. And then their one-day strike. Check it out at Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Lawyers, Guns, and Money website. And this is the B. Our show is Labor and Love here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street, where we've just uh, put in our Labor History is Your History exhibit, portraits of labor leaders and short biographies of each. Come on down and check it out at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street. Right now it's time for me to say goodbye to you. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, you're probably on the menu. And finally, never. But never let anyone into your heart who's not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Internacional.
Anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite. I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Yeah, you. You look like the kind of person who has a sense of humor. Oh, uh, is, is the radio talking to me? No, I'm on an internet podcast. Uh, I'm talking to an internet podcast? Don't be silly. It's a one-way form of communication. But I don't want you to miss out on the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2016 from March 2nd through 6th. And you don't have to. You can buy tickets now on universe.com with 24 national and international visiting comedians and 20 local hosts. You won't want to miss a thing. What if I can't be at every show? Don't worry. All shows will be available for free download at mutinyradio.fm until the internet falls apart. Oh, podcast guy. I can't wait to listen to all these great comedy shows and everything else that's cool at MutinyRadio.fm before the internet falls apart. You too won't want to miss a bit of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival from March 2nd through 6th, 2016. Buy tickets now. Brought to you by Subliminal SF, PBR, The Eagle SF, Brainwash Cafe, Asiento, and the great people at Alta California Botanicals. Have you heard of Subliminal SF? Visual and auditory mind control. Graphic design, physical merchandise, live music promotions. Go! www.subliminalsf.com for the most amazing t-shirts you've ever seen. Graphic design for every need and live music promotion. 
at some of the best bars in San Francisco. That's subliminal SF, visual and auditory mind control. Go to subliminalsf.com now. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere fun. $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought or two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's joke workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hey, people, you're listening to MutinyRadio.fm, and the show is called Flat Black Plastic, because that's what's playing. (laughs) 